If you could turn into a swarm of something when you die, what would it be? Um, ducks. <laughs> a swarm of ducks? Yeah. Or uh, a swarm of cats. Oh. That would be pretty good. Interesting. Why, what would you turn into? I would be... I don't know, something weird. Something stupid, like blobfish. Or like... <laughs> no, I'll be a swarm of, like, mud skippers. Oh my gosh. Alright. So then, when I die, I'll just be a pile of fish jumping around. Yeah. Then it would... Well, that would be different from a blobfish, because then you could actually move around. Yeah. So you're slightly I'll, less... I'll eventually fish. escape. Yeah. Somewhere. Dude. Do all of the animals in the swarm have a hive mind cognizance? Yeah, it's just you. Okay. Split up. Gotcha. Amongst many things. I see. That would be very complicated. Show starts in three, two, one. Cinema Crush. Welcome. I'm Jacob Salisbury. And I'm Emily Salisbury. And we like to share media with each other. We like to watch movies and TV shows. And this episode is our last one for Rings of Power Season 1. Oh man. It's been a journey. Yeah. Well, and it's already almost over. I know. We're going to watch these episodes and we'll be done. Yeah. For now. For now. I don't think that they've announced the next season? I mean, they've bought it already. Yeah. So they had better be making it. Unlike some people on Netflix who just decide not to make another season of something, I hope they don't do that with The Sandman, because I want more of that show. Thank you very much. <sighs> oh, streaming services. Why do you hate animation? Well, just generally. I think uh, corporations just hate animation for some reason. It's a nice tax write-off, I guess. Yeah. Gets, you can you know, not be bankrupt. Never mind the uh, years of work that goes into them. Mm-hmm. It's fine. HBO Max. Warner Brothers. All of them. None of them are innocent. <laughs> I keep... I don't... I feel like we should fill the people in... This is unrelated to Rings of Power, but this is kind of a life update. Because in recent news, there has been some turmoil uh, regarding Cartoon Network, beloved animation studio, TV animation studio. And they were, I don't know, recently bought out by Warner Brothers or yeah. something like that. Well, because Warner, isn't it Warner Discovery now? Yeah, it's Warner Discovery. Because they merged and that's part of, because HBO Max is under them. Yes. And HBO Max already had a relationship with Cartoon Network to begin with, mm -hmm. so it made sense that it was going to get bought by Warner Bros. Yeah. Um, but... but HBO Max went and cut a bunch of animated shows out of their docket, some of which don't have physical releases, so you'll never see them now. Right. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Cartoon Network had a bunch of layoffs. Yeah, I know, because they got bought out, and then they're trying to make money again. Yeah. And well, animation I mean, is paying the price. They're... 
the thing that I'm hearing is that they won't be a separate studio anymore. They'll just be, like, a separate brand name, which I feel like happens a lot in in this world of big companies well, eating other smaller companies. They're still going to have the Cartoon Network channel, though, aren't they? I don't know. Because that's, like, well, a, cause the thing a is, viewership. There's been, so there's been this merger, and I need to look more into it, but... <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, rest in peace, Cartoon Network. But then I, like, I keep seeing Cartoon Network social media being like, why does everyone think we're dead? We're not dead. And I can't tell if that's, like, a genuine, like, guys, we're gonna be fine. Or if it's more like a, the corporate control has taken over social media and is doing, is, like, puppeting the corpse of Cartoon Network. To say, like, we're not dead. Everything's fine. I can't I can't tell which one it is. I think the channel will be fine. I think they have a big enough brand, especially with Adult Swim, like, paired with Cartoon Network. There's enough big things going for them. Like, they were, I think they were doing fine yeah. before. I didn't hear anything about Cartoon Network struggling really no. much. I just, there's, there's this conversation that's been happening in the animation world of like shows keep getting cut they're genuinely good unique ideas but marketing teams just don't think that they're going to do well enough in the long run to keep them around so they just cancel them they're like oh the target audience for this show isn't going to be interested so we're just not gonna keep doing it yeah well like Tuca and Birdie yeah uh, as an example because that was originally via Netflix right and then Netflix didn't pick it up but Adult Swim it's Adult Swim right yeah they picked it up yep um and it's been great yeah and there is an audience for it yeah absolutely like I I just I want good unique I'm so well-written animated content and there is some of that out there, but there's just a lot more of... Right. They, they're they going by data and not pushing the boundaries of trying to make right. something new to, you know, break the mold. Right. I, I don't want the same thing that I've been getting. I want you to... I want new ideas that, like, test myself as a content consumer. I know. It's so interesting to me like these different companies and how they handle all that uh because like netflix has made some really amazing stuff but they never market any of it yeah like they don't advertise mm -mm. like much for their animated content yeah like when stranger things comes out i see ads for it everywhere right but like when she-ra was coming out or even even bojack horseman which is like, critically acclaimed and has won yeah. so many TV awards. Even that was not wide, super widely marketed. Well, and not even widely marketed to the people who are already watching the shows. Like, there will be new seasons released, and the only reason that I see them is because I scrolled far enough down on Netflix, not because they advertised it to me. Yeah. Um, in, in any format, on Netflix's apps, on social media, and most... Most people that consume content are not getting it, like, from social media or anything. I think we're the, we're kind of the exception to the rule because we're, we're in media and storytelling content. I'm looking um, for it. <laughs> I'm, yeah, we're actively looking for it. That's what algorithms are pushing to us. Yeah. But most people are casual watchers. 
and we're casual watchers too. I'm not saying that we're like yeah. I usually judge special. I usually judge the success of marketing of movies and TV shows by if my parents have heard of it. Right. Yeah. If if my family members have heard of them at any point, something has reached them and that's been successful. Having younger siblings, I feel like they probably come across a lot more of like the younger audience content more frequently because I think most of our family members are probably looking for live action content. Mm-hmm. Although I am curious, um, Rings of Power has been kind of a weird exception to that because I haven't really heard many people that I know talking about it. Like there, there are a few people here and there, but I like I think I said this in the last episode, but I think more people are was- watching House of the Dragon yeah. than Rings of Power, and. Honestly, I don't think I can blame them for that. Yeah. And I'll get more into that in our post-review after we watch these last two episodes, because I do have some final thoughts that I want to express, but I think I'll save those for later. Yeah. Yeah, but let's, um, segueing into it, let's get into a little recap of episodes five and six. So episode five was mostly split between Numenor, uh, Harfoots, I almost said Hobbits, Harfoots and the Stranger, and Elrond and Durin. So it starts out with the Harfoots. They are traveling. It is made much easier by the inclusion of the Stranger in their party. Poppy sings a wonderful song. Good song. The first real, like, long song that we've heard, although Disa did have a song as well. And then the Stranger protects... Poppy from some creatures, uh, and the Harfoots are traveling into ever-increasingly dark and unfamiliar territory. We also have Elrond and Durin. We kind of get the whole political back and forth of Gilgalad revealing that he does in fact know that Mithril is likely present in Khazad Doom. And he wants to get his hands on it. So he is trying to convince Elrond to fork over the information. But Elrond has sworn an oath to his friend. Which he apparently has not kept very well because Celebrimbor does know about the Mithril. Uh, So I don't really know how that oath works exactly. I mean, yes and no, because the Elf King already did know about it. So I assume Celebrimbor is in that loop. It's not like they don't know that there's Mithril there. But still... Yeah, like, they already kind of have an idea, but... So there's there's that storyline. And then we have a little bit of Numenor, where they are they have decided to go to Middle-earth. Galadriel's convinced them. There's a little bit of back and forth over whether or not people actually support that decision, but eventually they do, in fact, decide to go. Episode 6 follows shortly after and pretty much focuses exclusively on the Southlands and Numenor. Starting out with the Southlands, uh, Arondir is helping the humans to, well, he's helping them to protect themselves from Adar, who is imminently approaching, while part of the group of humans has decided to travel down to the village to meet with Adar to sign their lives away. There is a conflict at the bridge, at the tower that the elves previously occupied, Arondir is able to organize a ambush or a surprise attack, I guess, where they collapse most of the um, outpost on Adar and his troops. 
They end up down in the village. They have a conflict with uh, what appeared to be some of Adar's orc troops, but they later find out are actually the human villagers that they had seen not too long ago disguised as orcs. And that kind of causes a lot of turmoil amongst the humans. Um, and then there's this very, like, Helm's Deep vibes battle that occurs as Numenor rides to the aid of the Southlands after they dock in Middle-earth. And there's this whole battle, and they decimate the orcs, and they capture Adar. Armor shenanigans happen. Galadriel does some stuff, and we have an interesting dichotomy between Galadriel and Adar. We get some reveals about Adar. He is an Uruk, a corrupted elf. He gives this whole speech, and at the end of it, the uh, reveal of the purpose of the trenches that they were digging happens, uh, where one of the human villagers had gotten hold of the evil blood sword and unlocks the dam up at the outpost, um, which releases water that flows through the trenches that were dug down into the belly of Mount Doom setting it off and burying everything below in ash. And that's where we end. So, how do we feel going into this? Because I'm pretty sure that everyone should be dead. Yeah, they really should be, because volcanic plumes are... Toxic. Toxic and extraordinarily hot. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They would instantly be solidified. (laughs) I, I know you said this earlier today, there's kind of a, a double standard here because there's also, like, Sam and Frodo were also climbing the sides of Mount Doom. Right, but there's there's movie rules, though. Yeah. For, like, stuff like that. And the movie rule, like, the Sam and Frodo are not diving headfirst into, like, the plumes right. of smoke. They're and not they touching can... the lava. They end up being very affected by climbing Mount Doom. It's exhausting. It's hot. They have burns on their little hands and feet. Yeah, there are details like that where... Where, like, their lips are chapped. They're clearly dehydrated. It's not good. They look terrible by the time they get to the top. Sweaty, hot, like me after climbing four flights of stairs. (laughs) Just not good. And... This, this I feel, like, is a little bit different. Like, there is a suspense of belief that we can bring into, like, volcanoes in movies. Like, we, we know you can't go that close to a volcano in real life, but right. let's suspend our belief. This is stretching it a bit. Yeah. With the, the sheer power of the volcano yeah. eruption. Like, if they had toned it down a bit, I think it could have worked. Or, again, if they had cut it before the plume reaches them, so it's right. like, oh, maybe it won't get to them. Right. Like, right away, maybe they've got a little bit of time to run. Yeah, or, like, escape in some, like, protect themselves in some way. They're not going to come out unscathed, but they're not going to die. They don't do that. Galadriel yeah. faces that plume and ends up <laughs> completely consumed by it. And I want to talk about six more so than uh, five, just because there's a lot that happened in that battle. Mm-hmm. The more I think about it, the more I don't like that battle. Why and what would you do differently? There's just some things that tactically don't make sense, and lore-wise don't make sense to me. I also, just to insert 
recall you mentioning that there are a number of inconsistencies. Right. I did watch through it as a breakdown slowly just to like see the action because we talked about action and portraying action and some of the techniques they were using on horseback. There's moments where Arondir looks like he's supposed to be stabbing someone but there's nothing in his hand and then the person like dies so I don't know if there was supposed to be a knife. I assume so. Edited in and they didn't because like you don't punch someone with, like, like thumb first. So, I don't know. There's just some weird stuff in there where it looks like there's supposed to be something and then it doesn't. Someone also pointed out how, like, unnecessarily gory some of the st- stuff in there was, which didn't feel super Lord of the Ringsy. Mm-hmm. It's part of my... It's part of the same complaint with, like, the Hobbit Battle Five Armies movie where, like, there's, like, beheadings every other kill... And, like, very over-the-top violin. It just doesn't feel as Tolkien. I think that's just because... Here, here's what I would offer. Because I saw I saw a tweet that has been on my mind a lot. It, it was basically... And it didn't really offer anything constructive. But here's where I want to offer something constructive. The tweet was basically, in, in summation, whenever I think about watching Rings of Power, I feel like I should just put... Fellowship of the Ring on instead because it's going to actually have the vibes that I want it to. And I think that's because I don't think that Rings of Power has done a great job of giving us sympathetic characters. I don't think that we've had enough moments where we can spend time with a character and be quiet and just see them being themselves. We did in the first two episodes, and I rated those ones the highest because they really did pace themselves in setting things up, especially like the Hardfoots. Yeah. yeah. Like I really got attached to them in those first two. Right. And with Durin and Elrond, just because we did have time to get to know them. And then events started to happen and things kind of got quicker paced, which yeah. is fine, but it's still... I feel like I'm not relating to these characters as much. I think the characters I'm, I'm most excited about is Isildur's dad. What's Elendil. His? Elendil. Yeah. I really like Elendil. I think he's got a lot going for him because he has this relationship with elven culture that's unique. Right. And plays into Galadriel's role uh, while they're on Numenor. I think it's a really neat dynamic that he has with her. Because he is kind of one of her only allies there. And I like the Harfoots. I think their story has suffered a bit. There's been parts of it that felt padding, and there's parts of it where they don't focus on them long enough on scenes. Elrond and Durin, I like them. I think they've been probably the most well-paced out of everyone. I want more. Yeah. The Southland stuff, it's okay. I don't care about them that deeply. Again, because I don't really know them on a personal level. But kind of going back into my points on this final battle, some of the lore that made me scratch my head a little bit is the sword itself and, like, the function of the sword is to open a dam? Yeah. Which seems like a a pretty mundane thing for a a blood sword to do, because, like, it's not connected to Mount Doom. They dug the trenches to Mount Doom. but So the sword's function is to be a key to, to a dam to flood Mordor I guess like I don't know where this I, I assume that the elves built their fort 
So, like, why do the elves have this, like, blood key lock in there for? Or was it something that they just took over from someone else? I think they took over. I think the tower is elvish make, but I think the dam is older than that. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a couple of things where it made me question the lore a bit. But also, if these elves have been living there for as long as they have, keeping watch over this valley, you're telling me that they haven't done some trimming of the greenery in order to find the scary skull face that looks like a balrog. That would be harming a plant. <laughs> but like... It is right there though. It's right there. Well, and clearly uh, clearly a rondier knows where it is. He points it out. Yeah. So they were aware of it and yeah. just didn't do anything about just it. didn't do anything about it. So I don't know. There are just, there are places where I think I okay. So here's here's my theory about why this is feeling hollow to me. Tolkien is a world builder. Yes. He thinks about everything. We have the unfortunate circumstance of the Tolkien estate has not allowed the Silmarillion to be part of this story. So we have to base this all on. The Lord of the Rings appendices. Yeah. Basically. And so you can fill in, but there are there's context that will be missing because you can't include it. So I think we're kind of losing part of Tolkien's intent. We're losing the story. The depth. Yeah, we're we're losing the depth. It's just like stuff is happening. And they're really trying to write these characters to be deeper and to make sense in the story. But it's really hard to try to jump into Tolkien's brain and, like, assume where he would have gone yeah. with these things. And with him gone and Christopher Tolkien gone right. at this point. So we're even further removed from him yeah. because of that. I think that's the main thing. It's just, like, it's, it's really hard to go about this the way that they have been it's i mean it's sort of i haven't watched it but a lot of what i've heard about the last season of game of thrones the most of the series you know very good very acclaimed also based on books that exist and george R. R. martin had not finished writing the final installment right. in that story by right. the time they needed to release the next, the final season. Yeah, George takes his time in his writing. Right. And so the directors were left to come up with something. Yeah. Which kind of goes to show the strengths and weaknesses of the writers as well, because, like, adapting something is one thing, but like, into, like, screenplay form. But having to come up with something in an already established world is a whole other challenge. Right. That's a world that's not yours. That you've been adapting. So I think that this is a similar conundrum. Yeah. There are things that I really like and there are things that I really think they should have took their time on yeah. more. I also just think that for a production with this big of a budget, you shouldn't be making mistakes like the ones that we saw in episode six. Well, and also, just in general, this doesn't feel like it reflects the amount of money that's poured into it. Yeah. And I'll get into that. I want to talk about that after we've watched the last two. Yeah, this is a conversation that will probably come up with larger budget films that we watch, because 
that's often kind of a stumbling block, I think, for production companies is yeah. having a big budget. Money is not the solution. Right. So, I think I, I'm i interested to see how this pans out and how the finale Yeah. And I think, I think I'm going to give it two ratings later on. One for just these episodes and then another for the whole season. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, are we ready to go watch it? I think so. Alright. Let's finish this thing. Let's finish it. And we'll see you after the break. See you then. Welcome to the intermission. Welcome. Uh, it's both of us today for our last Rings of Power episode. Probably the last one together for a while. Yeah. I would be alone with no one to help. I mean, usually I'm just right over there while you're recording your yeah, intermission. True. He usually listens to me try to do this. But if you like what you have heard so far and want to support our podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CinemaCrushPod. That's at Cinema Crush Pod, all one word. You can also email us at cinemacrushpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on our social medias as well. We'll be posting updates there and sharing things that we love. If you have questions or feedback, you can tweet at us, you can DM us, comment on posts, respond to stories that we put out. We want to hear from you. We plan on publishing episodes bi-weekly. Uh, that will not apply this week because we're gonna go back to our regular bi-weekly schedule with our movie review episodes yeah next uh, week is a regular episode and from there on it'll be bi-weekly bi-weekly officially because we're done with rings of power yeah as of this episode it's the finale so you will not need to look for us in two weeks again with a new episode uh look for us next week but we really appreciate you for listening and for giving our podcast a chance. If you know someone who would like our podcast, please share it with them. Get the word out. I think that's all the announcements that we have for this episode. So why don't we head back to the podcast and see what we think of the finale of Rings of Power. Let's do it. See you in the next part of the episode. That was not good. Bad. Bad. Do it again. <laughs> what did I say? See ya, nerds. And now, on, on, on with the show. Welcome back. Welcome back. We just finished the last two episodes of season one, Rings of Power. We survived. We did it. And so did a lot of other characters. But what are your initial thoughts? You like it? Good, bad? This finale? I am conflicted. Conflicted? I think that's a accurate descriptor for this entire series. Yeah. I... It's really hard to weigh what makes a good story for film or TV, which are two very different things. And also what makes a good Tolkien story. And I think that these episodes are fighting between those principles. Because Tolkien's writings being adapted to screen will always 
have people that are mad about it, especially when you're doing boundary-breaking things like casting POC actors and making choices about characters that people disagree with. And I think that these two episodes sort of cap off those, those themes. Like, this is going to be a contentious show. And I think that that is sort of the, the thing that I'm coming to terms with, is that it's not going to be perfect for pretty much anyone. And we have to be okay with that and ask ourselves why and what could be better for our own stories that we're telling. How do you feel about it? Um, I will say, with the, with the finale, I think they did much better than they have been the past few episodes that we've watched. I think that they improved this finale, or perhaps they just simply just poured more resources into their finale than, feels like it. than other places. Uh, both in the writing and in, like, the acting and the, even the costuming. Yeah. I don't know, the costuming I'm still iffy on, on some parts, because, like, and we'll talk about it more, but, like, there's some that, so, there's some elements that really work for me, and there's some elements that really don't. So, like you said, I am conflicted, but. Let's, let's get into these episodes and talk about them. Yeah, do you want to take it an episode at a time? Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to do it. Okay. I have a bullet point recap because there's a lot that happens in these episodes. Yes. And the first thing I will say, kind of jumping off my initial thoughts, is that these two episodes were so much better paced yeah. than the previous episodes. I did not feel we were dragging at any point. Right. Uh, which had been an issue with some of the other plot lines, in the, at least in the middle. I feel like there was a lot more back and forth, too. Yeah, I felt, I think... There was a good enough balance going between each storyline. Because these episodes weren't any significantly longer than the other ones. It right. just felt like they used their time more wisely. I think that's... I think it's just the way that they're dividing up the story beats. I think that they're they're chopping it up. Not chopping it up, because that sounds like it's not as intentional. But they're dividing it into more bite-sized pieces. So we get important story beat. And then we get a break from that storyline, and then we come back to it later. It feels more, if you know what it's like, it feels more like I'm reading a chapter in a book rather than cutting away from a TV show yeah, from scene to scene. Definitely. And that's how I want my scenes to feel. I feel like each scene should have a kind of beginning and ending point. Obviously, you're gonna, you want to leave people uh, hanging on what happens next. But usually when you're reading a book, each chapter is divided into those chapters for a reason. Mm-hmm. Because it focuses on a very specific thing. Yeah. Well, in this episode, I think we'll see the theme that we've culminated to is so many examples of doing good things has a price, which I think is a really good message for this show. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, here's my quick recap of episode seven. We come in with the aftermath of the eruption, things are on fire, there's ash everywhere, people are dead, some people are alive. The queen gets sparks of fire in her face. Mm -hmm. um, Isildur is buried under a burning building. Isildur's friend is dead. Rest in peace, uh, whatever his name was. I don't remember his friend's name. Something I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Remember. 
we get an interesting new pairings of characters. We have Galadriel and Theo. Yeah. Which I thought was a really fun little scene. They have a really good, and I, I see you've written it down here. There are a lot of Lord of the Rings parallels in these two episodes. And one of them is the scene where Galadriel and Theo are hiding yeah, they're, from the orcs. They're hiding under this like tree log. Like a tree fall. Um, and then the orcs come by and they're looking for him and they're sniffing around. It's very much like the ring rays when they're looking for Frodo. Yeah. And just like kind of... What, what can I smell? What do I smell? Which you... And then they're distracted. And, and like, yeah. oh, we gotta keep going. Which, you know, everything smells like ashes. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was like, what are you smelling? Everything probably smells like sulfur. But we also get like a really nice moment with them. Not only where Galadriel is seeing herself reflected in Theo, but also is revealing some details about her past that she has not really told anyone else yeah. to this point. And I think because he is a kid yeah, uh, and needs a bit more guidance, and I think yeah. she sees a little bit of herself in him because, like, he's super brash. He wants to get revenge on them for, you know, yeah. torching his town and killing his people. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I know how you feel, but she, but we like, can't do that right now. He also feels like it's all his fault, and she is having that feeling big yeah. time right now. And I think that's the moment I wanted her to have, is like, oh, I am being a child. Yeah. I don't know if she finally gets past that point, but I think she starts to see that part of herself. Yeah, I definitely think she gets more of a resolution to that later on yeah. in episode eight. But she talks about her husband, Celeborn. Yeah. Um, who she thinks is dead. Yeah. Which I Which he's, I don't think he is because he's in Lord of the Rings, so Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming he'll come into play in a later season. Yeah. But cool little lore. Reflecting back on it, strange to me that she is trying to relate to Theo by telling him that not only did her brother die, which he might be able to relate to a little bit more. But her husband, and, like, he's a kid. He's never been married before. He probably hasn't even, like, had a real, like, relationship. So it's interesting to me that she would say that. I feel like she's just trying to bring more humanity to the situation for him. Because, yeah. like, he's met maybe a few elves. I think he understands the, like, importance of those relationships, though. So yeah. I think she's just trying to, like, tell him, like, yeah, I've lost a lot yeah. to this fight. Right. Yeah, it was a good scene. But, I liked that. And then she gives her sword to Theo, which was kind of cool. Yeah. It's also a little symbolic of her kind of hanging up the warrior right. part of herself. She's not letting go of her brother, but she is letting go of her role in this fight for now. Yeah. So I thought that was good. The queen turns out she was blinded. Yes. By those embers. Which her her father's counsel rings true that there's only darkness for her. Uh, in, literally. <laughs> in Middle-earth. Elendil is feeling the pain of losing his son, potentially. Yeah. And then we actually never cut back to Isildur we at all. We never cut back to Isildur. I think that is kind of a smart writing choice on their part. Yeah. Because we all know Isildur's path is to raise Gondor and fail. And this is a good echo for that. But also... If we keep him in Middle-earth, we don't have to cut back and forth to Numenor as much. Because they're just going to be prepping and politicizing and doing all this stuff before they come back. Or before their kingdom is ruined. I'm not sure what happens first. 
necessarily, but we don't have to cut back there for him to continue. Yeah. Whenever he resurfaces. Yeah. However that happens, I think it sets some good groundwork for Isildur to kind of go off on his own. Yeah. Because he's been very much tethered to a lot of other characters to this point. Yeah, and he needs to learn some lessons. Yeah. And he will. Yep. Oh boy, he will. Uh-huh. Um, the Harfoots, we cut back to them. They're on their journey. And, you know, the eruption happened, which I'm very surprised they didn't do anything with, like, hearing the eruption or, mm-hmm. like, seeing the smoke in the sky or something like that. That would be so loud. Oh, you'd feel it. You'd, yeah, it's you'd like an absolutely feel it. I don't know. You there's, saw a massive There's though. a lot of volcano shenanigans happening in this show. I don't know, but but they see this ruined orchard. Yeah, so they get to their they finally get to the green place, and it's been burned by the the rocks from Mount Doom that have been flung for miles. You know, trying to scavenge what they can. The stranger tries to fix it with his magic. The tree cracks a bit and falls apart, but there is new life, mm-hmm. and it does work. Yeah, it ends up creating this crazy lush orchard. So I want whatever magic he's got. That seems pretty cool. Pretty good. Even if it is sometimes putting other people in danger. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that much power, when you don't remember how to use it, is going to be like that. He's like a baby. He's like a baby who he fell did. from the sky. It's like, oh, it's like, a, it's like a to- if a toddler were a wizard, because like toddlers yeah. have no control over their anger and emotions and all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Basically. We get the white cloaks. Yes. The the three scary ladies. The three scary ladies. With their, their leggies out. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, they come, they find evidence of... They find the flower that's growing from the tree. They're like, what's this? And they're like, ah, familiar. And, and uh, Nori and all the other Harfoots are kind of spying on them as they're there. And Nori comes out and she's like, your guy ain't here. He did not go that way. He went that way. And they thank them by destroying their entire caravan. We burn everything. Which is very, very rude and inconsiderate of them. Yeah. I mean, because up to this point, we haven't seen anything of these characters or whether they're good or evil. But that's just like the uh, their save the cat moment of... You know, in this case, failing to save the cat. Yeah, they kind of kill the cat. Yeah, they're just like, mm. They kind of burn it. <laughs> I know you're trying to mislead me. Yeah. And again, like I said, all of these plot lines culminating to, if you do good things, there is a price. With the dwarves, Elrond and Durin are pleading to the king to mine some mithril to save the elves. Uh, he says No. Yep. Which I thought was very good and in character of him. Yeah. And he brought some good points to the table of, you know, if this is the elves' fate from their creators that they not thrive forever, then who am I to interfere? Mm-hmm. Which, if you know how Durin's line goes, is entirely correct. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, he knows that if they mine too deep, they're gonna, it's gonna be their downfall. Eventually, Elrond opts to leave because they're clearly not getting anywhere. Prince Durin uh, is mulling it over very emotional because he really, truly does want to help his friend. Yeah. I really like the relationship they've built up between Durin and Elrond in this series. I think those two have really good on-screen chemistry. Yeah. I I was a little nervous with, like, how the doors would be portrayed. I have... Ever since we first got introduced to Durin, I've had no qualms about him mm-hmm. in portraying what a dwarf prince would be. Yeah. He's very stubborn. 
very fiery, all of the qualities of a dwarf, but naive. But he's generous and he wants to help his friend. Yeah. And he discovers that the Mithril would, in fact, roll back the damage that has been done to the elves. He sees the leaf heal with the Mithril nearby it. Oh, little detail. While they're digging, is... Is Elrond, because he's an elf, like, able to, like, kind of sense where the mithril is? Is that what was happening there? Maybe. While they were, like, working. Because, like, the the leaf of the tree that they're connected yeah. to is affected by proximity to the mithril. Yeah. And I noticed while they were digging that Elrond was kind of, like, holding his hand to the rock and, like, kind of guiding it and feeling where to dig as well. Yeah. So I think if they are going to continue to mine mithril in the future... If it's with the help of the elves and the dwarves together to, like, carefully go in, using the elves as, like, radar, I guess, for where the Mithril is? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they know where the Mithril is at this point. Right, well, they find it. They find yeah. the huge vein. Yeah, yeah. They find the mother load, yeah. in fact. Um, and we also get this nice moment where, like, Durin is basically implying that Elrond is his brother from another mother. And it's like, but... I'm Durin, son of Durin, and Elrond's like, haha, you have your father's name, and it's funny to say. And Durin's like, well, I also have a secret name that only my family gets to use, but we don't actually get to learn it. Because Elrond gets thrown out, because Durin, the king, kicks him out. Yeah, like, I mean, they did disobey a direct order. <laughs> yeah, but King Durin has this... Really great conversation with his son, too. Ah, those are such a good scene. Like, it doesn't end well. No, but, like, it's a father-son sit-down moment. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I need to punish you for this. Because it will make you better. Yeah. And you need to be tempered. And Durin's like, to heck with that. And he loses his privileges as prince. Yep. He is essentially usurped of his throne. And For Disa now. is not happy about that. No, Disa's that. mad. Disa's mad. Disa's so mad she making weapons in the yeah. living room. Disa, Disa rage forges. I love that about her. <laughs> so good. She's made this entirely new axe because she's so angry, which is so good. She's like, I just need to hit something. Yeah. We seem to have the implication um, that there is a feud between the Dorans, the third and the fourth. And I'm sure we'll get more resolution on that later. But they kick Elrond out. He goes back home. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. I'm. I don't think that Tolkien ever really like implied anything about there being a family feud in Durin's line. But I think I it's interesting. Remember. I don't remember. And it's also interesting because I feel like in most media. It's implied that the fall of Durin's line is because of greed but in this case it's truly because he wanted to be kind and friendly and generous and that causes his downfall for now for now i'm well, sure more we'll see we have a balrog on the loose well kind of i think the balrog just kind of lives down there i don't think yeah. he's like did that leaf wake him up did that i don't think so I, that would be silly i i don't like cheap uh, I don't, I don't think they needed to show him. No, I don't I really think so didn't, either. I really didn't want that. I think they should have just, like... That felt kind of cheesy. I think they could have had the, the cool leaf uh, blowing down the tunnel moment, and then... Maybe, like, a growl or something. Or, like, that, the drums. That, or just the leaf combusting. Yeah. 
That and then cool too. don't show the Balrog. Yeah, just show how deep it is by doing that. That would be cool. Yeah, I think that I think that that's a valid point. The Balrog does look really cool though. So, the White Cloaks catch up to the stranger, and surprise, the stranger is Sauron. Ooh. Yeah. N- no. No. We I think we all knew he's not. <laughs> he's. Uh-uh. But they treat it like it's a big deal. Yeah. Well, and it's. I don't know. It's really funny to me that they're just like, they don't realize that it's not him initially. Like, I think that speaks a lot to Gandalf's, by the way, the stranger is Gandalf. I, I mean, think that, I think we all knew I from the beginning. I screamingly obvious from the moment that he was hanging out with bugs and bumping his forehead on Harfoot doorways. He is a very powerful magic user, and he finally kind of gets his memory switched back on a little bit. He's figuring it out. Yeah. He he can talk better. But we end our episode with Orc Dad, Adar. Mm-hmm. You know, they won. They did it. They have a home now. Yay. But they can't call it the Southland. Yeah. We gotta call it something else. Da-na-na-na-na. And then they threw ugly title font up at the very end. I was real mad at that. So (laughs) they call they have the title font at the very end of the Southlands, and then it like burns burns away, away. and then it it fades in Mordor. Yeah, which you completely defeats the purpose of the shot, which was a perfect framing of the now ruined forest and Mount Doom in the background. Yeah. We know it's Mordor. You don't have to tell us it's with your text. Clear. Yeah. Oh, well. <sighs> I will admit, an hour after watching it, I'd pretty much forgotten that that had happened. So, it it's just, annoying in the moment, It though. left a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of just pure visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. Even, I even love, like, no dialogue scenes. Yeah. But, yeah, just stuff like that where you didn't need to put it up there. Yeah. That's kind of part of the reason I really liked the White Cloaks, because they don't talk at all until they, like, find Sauron. Yeah, they're so mysterious. Quote-unquote Sauron. And are like, oh, you are this guy that we've been looking for. Yeah, which leads us right into episode eight. Yeah. Um, Because they talk to him, and they're trying to get him to remember things, Mm -hmm. which he kind of does, but not, not what they want. It doesn't work out for them. But the Harfoots plan a rescue, mm-hmm. and Sadder comes too, and yeah. I'm so happy that he did. It's the girls, and Marigold, and Sadek. Uh, Sadek, well, so basically what happens is they, they're tying up this guy, because they're like, mm, he doesn't seem too thrilled to see us. Maybe he's not quite there yet. Maybe we should tie him up. And the, the Harfoots try to create a diversion to go free him. But it's not actually him. It's the scary white-haired lady. Uh, ah, she's like a creepy shapeshifter, which I, is actually really cool. I really like the way they do the shapeshifting. Yeah. Because it's there's some very practical-looking mm-hmm. transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably a mixture of, you know, kind of shedding shedding the skin. Yeah, very practically. snake-like. That character is very snake-like. Uh, but Sadek gets a... Uh, an unfortunate throwing dagger to the gut. Yeah, but he does get a, a little a little cutback 
Yeah. He's like on the ground hiding later and then he like stabs the person in the foot. Yeah, yeah. It's that was really good. I was like, yeah, get him, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I that that poor man was running on adrenaline that whole time. <laughs> that was no good. Yeah, he's not doing so good. We'll cut back to him in a bit. Yeah. Because Galadriel comes back with the elves. Elrond is like, what the heck are you doing here? <laughs> and then she's like, what are you doing here? Halbrand is being healed for his wounds because he got injured yeah. and needed elf medicine. Yep. I really love the green and gold costuming mm-hmm. from Aregion. all the, el- the elf healers. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a nice aesthetic. So there's a <laughs> there's a part where they're in the elf city. What is it called? Aregion. Oh, the egg place. Got it. I think it's like the green land or something like Fine. that. Fine. Green land. <laughs> Wait, hold on. The country of Greenland. Erin Galen is the green wood. That's where Gandalf has the whole, or where they have the whole Saruman thing. All right, let me make my point. Aregion. Aregion. Is where the forge is. And okay. Celebrimbor is. Okay. So there's a point where it cuts between Aregion and Numenor, and once again, I, I got very confused in the yeah. aesthetics of both of those places because they're just similar enough where I I don't immediately know where I am. This keeps happening. I know. I'm like, I just wish you were a little bit different. But Halbrand is healed, and then he nerds out on smithing with Celebrimbor. Yeah, he's like, oh, did you think about the fact that you can take this little bit of whatever quote air quotes whatever this <laughs> whatever this is. thing is i don't know and that's literally the first thing he goes to he's like what's this what's this and Celebrimbor's like i'm not at liberty to say Celebrimbor's like i he's like i can't work with it do and you what do you need to you need to look i'm from a place where we don't have much and i have to add extra other ore to things and sometimes it compliments I feel like Halbrand talking about smithing is like the the guy who's just like, um, actually, uh, yeah. if you mix it with these metals, it would do a lot better and, and even enhance the effects. Yeah. We also get Halbrand showing his cards a little bit because to Celebrimbor, he says like, oh yeah, my master spoke highly of the wonders of Celebrimbor. And that, that really puffs him up, puffs this guy Oh, up. he knows how to play people. Yeah, absolutely. He's very clever. But Celebrimbor latches on to this idea that if they if they mix the mithril with other alloys, it will strengthen it rather than weaken it. Yeah. So they opt to make something. Originally is, a crown. Originally a crown. And then Gilgalad is like, I don't think one person should have that much power. And so they're like, we'll Which make two things. is a good point and rather wise of him, I yes. would say. In fact, yes. He also talks about, he's like... We need more mithril, and we need it now, and this is not enough. Stop doing what you're doing. The tree in Linden is falling to pieces. I wish they would have, like, shown that at some point. Yeah. Like, maybe open the episode with that. I don't know. I want to see how dire this is, because he's talking about it, but I want to see it. It's just like, it's not good, guys. Yeah. It's bad. We're out of time. It's The tree looks awful, but I want to see that. But yeah, Halbrand gets a little too buddy-buddy with people, and Galadriel is skeptical of that, so she investigates. So... And I know you had some points <laughs> yeah, on that. Yeah, this, this is a point where I was like, okay, Galadriel is investigating the family line of the royalty of the Southlands. 
And so she asks this archivist to check it out, and they're like, oh, I might be able to find something, and then they do. Galadriel finds out that the lineage of the Southlands was broken, like, over a thousand years ago. Previously in the show, I thought she had checked out some other archives that confirmed Halbrin's identity as the heir of the Southlands. So yeah, wasn't that the whole point of the Numenor yeah. archives? So I guess, like, I don't I don't know. I don't know what the point of that was. I feel like she wouldn't have just trusted him. But I don't know where where those information where that information crossed paths. Unless, here's my theory. Sauron killed the heir. Or whoever was in power at that time. Well, they said, like, where he got the... Because she believes... Here it is. She believes he's the heir because he has the, like, right. sigil with him of the last king that died, like, a thousand years ago or whatever. Which I'm very much sure Sauron killed him and just took it off of him as a trophy. <laughs> I think Sauron took his whole dang body. Oh, maybe. Because we have this whole theme again another theme that's being paralleled between the two storylines lord of the rings and this where aragorn is also the heir to isildur and everyone's like no but that line ended like there shouldn't be an heir halbrand is the aragorn of this story but i think it's because sauron basically took his body <laughs> <laughs> you like hijacked his body, I think, is what happened. I don't know if that's actually the case or not, but that's the only thing I could think of that would create that inconsistency, unless they just purely have a plot hole. That would be a really cool way to resolve that, I think. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, because as know, far as... only the, the first season. As far as the Southlands people know, he's still the king. Yeah, they're like, oh, you have the, you have the thing, you have the sigil. And none of them have lived long enough to understand that. So, and nobody's really paid enough attention. Yeah, but Halbrand is Sauron, big surprise. Um, he takes Galadriel down this hole. Yeah, that was a cool... Like, through all of the the worst, darkest places in her mind. And we, we actually, he... Well, and he offers her power. Yeah, he, like, takes her to, like, the first scene of the show. And then he takes her to the uh, raft that they were on. And they have this whole, con like conflict and he echoes the sentiments that Galadriel later espouses when Frodo offers her the ring like she it's basically it's not the same exact dialogue but it's very similar to the point where it's like okay if you yeah. watch these two scenes these are the things together, that Sauron she offers. remembers this yeah she locks this information away in her brain forever like, she remembers. I mean, it's a pretty vivid sequence, so. Yeah. And, like, I think it was... Well, it and, was... like, I love how they did it with her, like, snapping out of it and, like, Elrond trying to, mm -hmm. like, calm her down. She's like, who are you? Are you... Oh, yeah. Are you the dude? She did not trust him. She's like, prove it. I don't know how that would work, though, because he was, like, in her brain, so I think he would have been able to, like, trick her, but... But, regardless. Regardless. She proves that she does not disclose what happened to Celebrimbor or Elrond, but simply suggests that rather than make two rings, they should make three out of the Mithril to mm -hmm. divide the power in a more balanced way. But it, I don't remember what happens directly after that sequence. They save the stranger, the Harfoots do. Oh, yeah. Um, and then in the aftermath of that battle, Sadduk dies. Mm-hmm. 
really dies and Which is not. A really nice scene. It's a really nice scene, and I, I, they didn't bring in the Deus Ex Machina of magic to save him. Well, it would create an inconsistency because Gandalf doesn't have healing magic. I know. I'm just saying, like in general, with writing, like if yeah. you're if you're going to kill a character, kill him properly. Yeah, I just I was sitting there fully expecting Gandalf to like show up and be like, "Oh, let me heal you," and they didn't do that. I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. But also, it would have taken too long to get him back. But but I see what you mean. Real consequences. Yeah. This is these are the things I like to see in stories. Yes. Uh, because we've had they, a lot of real consequences. I know, and that's why I've really enjoyed these this finale. I'm surprised I enjoyed this finale so mm -hmm. far as much as I have. But they defeat the white cloaks. Gandalf realizes who he is and uses his magic mm -hmm. to blast them. Blast them into moths. <laughs> and learns about Rune, this place. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the white cloaks because there's really not much Tolkien lore about them. Yeah. This is kind of an area where the writers have a bit more freedom to play around with this mystery. And we don't get a lot of information on them still, even after yeah. they're gone. Because they're not alluded to in the Silmarillion at all, are they? I don't know. For sure. I mean... <laughs> if we they, don't, they can't. They can't use it in this because they don't have the rights to that book, but... Yeah. Theories on them include they might be corrupted elves like Adar. Mm-hmm. Or they might... Because they're... Some of their helmets conveniently cover their ears. Yeah. So that could be the case. Um, well, the white-haired one had rounded ears. Right. Was not an elf. So the other, another theory is that they're from the east. Yeah. Because there are, like, sorcerers in okay. the east. And there are, like, uh, of the kings of men that will eventually become ringwraiths, some of them are, like, witches and sorcerers. Okay. I guess... I mean, we've got the Witch King of Angmar. Yeah. So, there are magic users outside of wizards. They're just very, very rare. Well, and I imagine, unlike Gandalf's raw power, they need a focus. Because the only one who's doing magic was the one that had the staff. I imagine that if you're not an Istari, you probably need something to aid you. And then they forge the rings. And it's cool looking. Three of them. This is where I wanted the slow-mo shots. We talked about slow-mo shots in the last episode. Slow-mo macro shots. Oh, I love the close-ups of the gems and the forging and the rings and, like, the way the metal, like, pours down those spirals. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if that's how forging works, but it's fantasy and it looks cool. It looks really cool. So I will forgive it because it looks freaking dope. Yeah. And the rings are quite beautiful. I'm happy with them. But we also get the little tidbit that Elrond connects the dots on who Halbrand is, yeah. I think. He he's knows kinda, some stuff. It's kind of like, why didn't Galadriel tell me about that if we're friends? Yeah, that seems like a big thing to leave. That's uh, like, it's like the one thing Galadriel listens to Sauron about is if she alludes to the fact that she did help him, things will be bad for her. And so I don't know why she thought she could hide that. And then Hellbrand goes home. He's in Mordor. Yeah. It looks great. Mm-hmm. It's been some redecorating. Uh-huh. I'm really curious to see how that goes. Adar was not a huge fan of Sauron. No. And I he mentions using Galadriel to kill his enemies as well, which I think is Adar. He doesn't like what he's doing. Yeah. And taking his power away. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, the 
I mean, Holbrin, Holbrin is standing there when Adar says that, and Holbrin does not look happy about it. Like, because Adar says, like, oh yeah, I defeated Sauron. Like, I took over. And he's not here anymore. And Holbrin is like, mm, we'll see about that. <laughs> so, that happens in, like, episode six, I think, but... Is the big tower in Mordor, in Lord of the Rings, is that the forge that Halbrand will build then to make the One Ring? Probably. Because the, the other forge that they built is also a tower. Mm-hmm. And, like, can heat things very, very hot. Yeah. And, you know, with Mount Doom there, ready, ready access to lava. Right, and, you know, the fact that the ring is forged in the fires of Mount Doom, it can only be destroyed by those fires. I, I guess it is. I don't know if that means in in Mount Doom or if it just means like with yeah. with the fires of Mount Doom. Right. I think like you could probably collect lava and bring it you know, somewhere or, else. Or you know, carve a channel for the right. lava to go into. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's some flexibility there, but I yeah. think that would be cool if like the tower that we see in Lord of the Rings it's is the forge. Like yeah. I think so. It certainly has a lot of power in it if it's got a gigantic magic flaming eye eyeball. <laughs> Which we get a really cool parallel to whenever Celebrimbor drops the Mithril oh. into the the uh, melted well, the melted remains of Finrod's dagger. Yeah, which was again a, talking a of really sacrifice cool, for yeah, things that are good, like really cool, awesome character moment for Galadriel because she's letting that go. Yeah, again, her second weapon. She's had a sword and a dagger this right. whole time. She gave up the sword and she gave up the dagger, and I really yeah. like that symbolism. And I hope they keep with that going into season two. The end of this episode, we've got a few unkempt threads. I came up with a list, and we kind of touched on all of these. But just to summarize, things to look for in the next season. Uh, Isildur's sister. What the heck happened to her? What's up with the Palantir? Uh, Isildur himself. Where is he? Is he okay? Probably not, but he'll come back. The Southlands people, we don't really get a full resolution on where Bronwyn and Arondir take them. Like, they say where they're going, but we don't get to see it. So I'm curious if we'll touch on those guys again. Maybe they become the people of Rohan. I don't know, eventually. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure it out. The fate of Adar, because he's clearly not Sauron's favorite. But Sauron does make use of his orcs. Seems like a conflict will occur there. What What's going on with the Durin feud? How's that gonna be handled? Clearly the elves end up with more Mithril, right? Yeah. And the dwarves use it too, but... Yeah, I, th I hope that the, the way they're going with the show, because season one ended with the three rings for elves. Right. I think season two will end with the seven rings for dwarves. Right. And introduce more characters along the way, and then if they have... If they are going to, I think, five seasons? Season three could end with the nine rings of men. Season four could end with the one ring. And then season five is using the one ring to turn everyone against each other. Right. And then the final battle. Yeah. I also think we're going to get Galadriel reuniting with Celeborn at some point. Oh, yeah. Which will be nice. Oh, yeah. Because I don't feel like you're going to just drop that and then not talk about it again. I think you drop that and be like, by the way, her husband is out here. Somewhere. Somewhere. But that's the finale. I, I don't know if we want to talk about this more, or if we just want to give our kind of overall Here's, thoughts. What I'd like to do is I'd like to do a review of just these episodes, mm -hmm. 
and then talk about the series as a whole. Okay. I think for these two episodes, episodes seven and eight, I'm going to give it higher than I did in the last couple episodes because they did do a much better job of pacing and much better job of character. I think the actors really fell into their roles way better at this point. And I really connected with them. So I'm going to give it a four out of five. Okay. I think there's there were some issues, so I'm not going to give it a five. But I enjoyed it far more than I thought I would. Yeah, it brought it back into a more positive light for me. I think these two episodes, I'll use the North American grading scale for this one. Uh, I think I'd give these episodes collectively like a B. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Like a B, B minus... Somewhere in, somewhere in the B range. Yeah. I'd say that's fair. I think that's that's. It's not an A for me. No. But I would say a solid B. Yeah. Which is more than the previous episodes. But I want to talk about the series as a whole and how I feel about it. Because there's a lot of Amazon money mm-hmm. being pumped into this. And I feel, as I said, with more money comes more problems. With Celebrim, on on the coattails of Celebrimor's comment about maybe, basically he says maybe less is more, which seems kind of contrived. Yeah. So, my positives for this series. I think the prosthetics and, like, makeup, really well done. I don't have a lot of complaints about that. I think the costuming, at its best, is good. And at its worst is... A little more than egregious given the price point. I think the the CG is fine. I think the story was fine as a whole. I don't I'm not gonna say it's great, I'm not gonna say it's terrible. I think it was fine. Which brings me to my overall conclusion on how I feel about this so far, in that the price point does not match the quality that we're getting. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of high-budget films and TV shows. There's exceptions, of course. But there's a reason Game of Thrones is so popular, and a reason I think people are watching House of the Dragon more than they're watching Rings of Power. I think Game of Thrones just has a better handle on its aesthetic, and it's like it knows what it is. And I feel like Rings of Power is still figuring it that out. Yeah, I would agree. Well... Do you want to give it a rating and then I can talk about it? Or do you want me to talk about it and then we can both give our ratings? You can talk about it and then we can rate it together. I feel like we've had eight episodes and we just got off the ground in terms of story. I'm really interested to see where this goes, but I feel like they spent a lot of time introducing concepts and hammering them home way more than they needed to. And I think the time could have been better spent deepening the story and the character relationships. And I think that the reason that people cling to Tolkien's works so much is because of how deep and connected they are. And how Tolkien does such a good job of telling stories that are from a humbler perspective, even though the things that are happening are about gods and heroes. So I think that personally, if I were writing this show, I would focus more on storylines like the people of the Southlands and the the Harfoots, because those are the people that are the humbler point of view. 
Like, I know what's going to happen to Galadriel. She's going to survive. Elrond's going to survive. I'm curious to see how they go about doing that, but I already know that. I have no idea what's going to happen to Nori. She does not have as long of a lifespan. She could die in the next season. And I am so nervous about her. I'm so nervous about Bronwyn and Theo and what's going to happen to them. Because I don't know those characters yet. And I think the strongest way to tell this story will be to focus on the characters whose stories we don't know as well. I'm hoping that we get more of that because this season really focused more on characters we already know about. We got so much Galadriel and we got so much Galadriel saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm, I kind of got tired of it by the end. I was like, okay, we get it. Yeah. You lost your brother. I am always one for a character that has lost something and is informed, like every decision they make is informed by that, but you don't need to say it. I don't need to know that every time. Like you don't need to have her explain it to every individual character she meets. And I think that's where I was disappointed and let down by Galadriel's character specifically. She just didn't feel like they put enough care into her story, you know? Yeah. Everything else I really enjoyed. I don't know. It feels like they had the wrong main character. Yeah. I think you should have focused on either Durin and Elrond, which we did get a good amount of them, or more on the Harfoots. Yeah. In terms of pacing, I really feel like the two bookends of this season were the strongest. Mm -hmm. And I think the middle could have been chopped down significantly. Or use that time more wisely to expand on events and lore and character moments, especially like meaningful character moments. But I think they could have done more with less, kind of as you were pointing out before. Yeah. And kind of coming back to what I was saying, I feel like productions with tighter budgets end up with more creative solutions. Yeah. Because they have to. And I feel like there's such a safety net of financial support from Mr. Bezos. I think it's hurting them more than they realize. Like, there's not, there's not enough room to be a scrappy filmmaker to come up with ideas that are going to help save the story and not break the bank. I will say that doesn't necessarily ring true because we're watching Andor right now on Disney Plus, and that one is, like, I like it better than Mandalorian. That is a really well-told story, at least what we've seen so far, and we're only a couple episodes in. Yeah. And that definitely has a high, like, it has a high budget. It has a high budget, but they've taken their time. Yes. And while there is a lot of thought in Rings of Power, I don't think it's deep enough thought. Yeah. I think they're just trying to tell too big of a story all at once. Yeah. The the thing with Lord of the Rings, to come back to the Jackson trilogy, the thing that made that production work is that everyone was putting the most amount of thought into every decision they make across every department. Every costume choice had a meaning. Every single set, like every corner of the set had a meaning to it and a care unlike any other and it's so rare to get that on yeah. a, a huge, you know, these, these movies and TV shows cost millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. It's funded by corporations for that reason, because things are expensive to make. Mm-hmm. You have to have all the supplies you need. You have to be able to pay your workers. I feel like 
the stars just don't quite align for Rings of Power. Yeah. But do we want to give it a rating as a series and close this special out? Yes. You go first. Okay. I'm just thinking back to what I've rated the other episodes, and I think overall, from beginning to end, I'm going to settle on a three-point... Like a 3.65 or 3.75 out of 5. Getting granular. I know. It's it's hard. Because there are the moments that I really... The moments that are good, I really, really like. The, there are moments where there are mistakes and they're kind of egregious, some of them. And sometimes the plot gets sloppy. But I think they pulled it together enough in this finale that it did have a nice conclusion to the season that I can be happy with. I just wish that they had spent more care in the middle. Yeah, I think losing it like that in the middle is where you're going to lose a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I have not seen a lot of people talking about this finale, which is a problem. I think people will come to it later on and, and watch through the whole thing and be like, oh, wow, as a whole, fine. I'm excited to see what comes next, but I don't think watching through it episode by episode like this, I was as enthralled. Like, like I kind of alluded to at the beginning of this, I kind of just want to go back and watch the Peter Jackson trilogy now, because that's like the vibe that I want. This feels a little bit too like big budget TV show to me, because there's just a feeling it's got a stink. It's got a stink on it. Oh. <laughs> that feels like a big budget TV show. Yeah. I did have one last little thought that if you're talking about the vibe of Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. I think one thing that they could have done, because they have the budget for it, that would have helped this aesthetic feel better, I think they should have shot it on film. Yeah. It feels too clean. There's no digital camera out there that is yet to capture the essence of a film camera for me. Yeah. It's just completely different methods of technology. And there's something about film, like real reels of film. Right. That makes the movie feel different. You're right. I think I would rate this series. So if I'm talking about like an average grade, I'll go with the the letter grade again, because I think that makes the most sense to me. For the whole series, I think I'd give it like a C plus. Yeah, not even a B minus. No, no, it's not quite the average of the middle episodes with the first and last. Yeah, don't quite make it to a B minus for me. That's fair. Like I would watch it again because there's cool moments, but I probably wouldn't pay that close attention to the middle episodes. But it was fun. Like overall, what I keep telling people is, if you want to watch a fantasy series. Watch it. It's fun. I had fun watching this. And because I watched this, it actually made me want to look up more things about what Tolkien wrote. Absolutely. So it's kind of doing its job. Yeah. It's bringing me into further into the world of Tolkien. Yeah. Granted, we already were into it before, yeah. so... And maybe not for the right reasons, because most of the time I'm looking up like, oh, why did they make this decision in the yeah. film and not what he wrote? I think for somebody who's new to Tolkien, this might draw some people in, it might deter some people. I think the thing about it is that 
Tolkien is not for everyone. It's a very, like, kind of traditionally told story. I think this series does have some of the things that still ring true uh, in Tolkien's other works and in Peter Jackson's trilogy. So I definitely see the themes of friendship prevailing even in the darkest of times and hope prevailing in the darkest of times. And I think those are the important things that I draw from Lord of the Rings personally. Those are the values that I carry with me day to day. Yeah. So I think as long as they stay true to that, and I think that they have. I will continue to have high hopes for the show. Yeah. And maybe they'll maybe they'll learn from their mistakes. We'll have to see for season two. Yeah, I don't know how much they've already figured out. So I'm hoping that they see some of some of the feedback from this, which is why, you know, I don't I do not in any way think that the writers of this show are gonna hear our podcast, but I hope that the things that we're talking about are echoed enough in other people's feedback to the point that they don't see negative feedback as much. They see people saying, well, you did okay, but it could be better, and here's how you could do that. And they'll take that feedback and apply it and make something better. But as Gandalf says at the end of the episode, if you're in doubt, always follow your nose. Doesn't Toucan Sam also say that? Does he? I don't know. Follow your nose! <laughs> well, Gandalf definitely says it in Lord of the Rings. Well, whether you're listening to a serial or a wizard. We'll see you on the next episode. See you then. Bye. Please drive carefully, and good night now.